From the fabulous WSUM Madison Studios, it's Do It Live, hosted by the Do It Geeks. This week's topic is the opening of the new Chazen Art Museum, how art and technology complement each other. Joining us from the museum, Jim Healy, Russell Panchenko, and Steve Johanowitz, along with our regular geeks, Teresa Saldana, Adam Wiesenfarth, and Jesse LeGrew. And now, broadcasting live and local on 91.7 FM and streaming worldwide on WSUM.org, please help me welcome my co-host, Ty Christian. Hey, hey, hey out there in Radioland. It's Do It Live. It's Thursday. It's 2 p.m. And it's time to talk tech here on WSUM 91.7 FM, Madison, Wisconsin, the snake on the lake. And I'm your host, Ty Christian, for another wonderful, enchanting, delectable, wonderific version of Do It Live. Because we're talking about art, triangularism, shading, poetry. That's Actually, true. We will be talking we, to... <laughs> Uh, the director of the Chazen Museum. We will be talking about art because today we're talking about the new Chazen Museum and how art and technology intersect and complement each other and how technology can use art and art can use technology. And yes. So if you haven't been down to the Chazen Museum, you should go. You should absolutely go. And if you've even just walked through under the, the walkway between the two museums. It's just it's just like a breath of fresh air compared to the the little dingy road that used to be there and it, then the construction site, and now it's just... It might also be a breath of fresh air because it's a natural windpipe now. You know, like when the wind comes through, it just blows the... Anyway. Hey, thanks, folks. Uh, uh, anyway, but check out our website online, doit.wist.edu forward slash radio. Email us, radio at doit.wist.edu. Uh, and give us a call. All of the all of the contact information that you could ever need for us is listed on our website, doit.wist.edu uh, slash radio, along with, uh, hey, guess what? Podcasts. Podcasts are back up. Yay, podcasts. All of the podcasts from this, uh, from this semester, from last semester, uh, from previous semesters when we weren't on the air are definitely <laughs> still up there because they don't exist. See what I did there? I think... You know what? I looked at our podcast list. I think we've passed 25 shows now. This is 27. 27? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yep. It's going to be, when we hit 50, it's, uh, I'm bringing out the bubbly. Ooh. It's going to be like, thanks for calling Do It Live. This is Ty. But anyway, non-alcoholic bubbly. I'm just, you know, speech impediments. Oh. Anyway, so, <laughs> so we, should, we, should, uh, we should get going to, uh, uh, to our, our first and our always our first segment, which is the, the best segment uh, of our segments, I think. Uh, it's with uh, Emmy Award winning anchor, Tony Award winning anchor, Oscar winning anchor, Teresa Saldana with the news. It's Teresa Saldana with the news. Thanks, Ty, for your always dramatic entrance. You're welcome. So, we're going to talk about first news bit. Mm-hmm. Um, including two of my favorite things, which are movies, movies. and Apple. <laughs> so now that Steve Jobs has passed on, everybody's chomping at the bit to figure out what's going to happen with a movie deal. Mm-hmm. 
right? So it looks like Sony Pictures has acquired the movie rights uh, to the authorized biography of Steve Jobs, which just came out. Oh, my gosh. Um, so get a copy of that if you haven't already. I guess mine is coming in the mail. My father told me a couple months ago that he pre-ordered it for me. <laughs> That's awesome. So I was debating getting it, and he said, oh, yeah, there's there's actually a copy on pre-order for you. It should be showing up in the mail, you know. And I said, oh, okay. That's that's hilarious. Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm very excited. Uh, I think it's being shipped to my grandparents' house, though, so hopefully they're going to ship it to me or something. Uh, so... So, uh, you know, the, here's the question I have. Mm-hmm. Who's, who's going to play Steve Jobs? Well, the only option I can think of, and if you, for you folks at home that have seen the other movie that's Steve, the other movie that is about Steve Jobs that covers um, from the, I think, the early 80s up through his return to Apple yeah. in the mid-90s, um, he was portrayed by Noah Wiley. Oh. Uh, many of you probably know him from the show ER. I can't remember the name of the actor of the character that he played on ER, um, but he was one of the. But he played Steve Jobs, and oh, I'm trying to think of the guy who played Bill Gates. Oh, you mean and you I mean on 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 the Pirates, Pirates of Silicon, Silicon Valley? Valley. Right. Yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. I didn't mention the name of the movie. It's called Pirates <laughs> of Silicon Valley. Um. <laughs> so that that is um the. The current movie you can see it's I don't think it's authorized by any means. Um but no unauthorized Wiley was, biography so, of Steve Jobs. So I don't know if now with an older Steve Jobs that Noah Wiley would would actually fit the role. That's true. He's still He might be still too young for that. I don't know. Are they gonna do like a whole big long, you know, f- And from, that's what from I don't know either. Steve Jobs. Um the the movie might cover just his whole life where obviously Pirates of Silicon Valley was more about him duking it out with Microsoft mm-hmm. and some of the other companies, IBM. Um, Duke it out. But this one might actually cover his whole life, or you know, it might pick up where that where the other movie left off. Um, I'm not really sure what they're going to do. That's a lot to cover. It is. Steve it's Jobs did a lot in his life. If you've seen any of the spoilers popping up online, spoilers for the book. Spoilers alert. Um, there, there's a lot of good material in there and things that people didn't know about him. Yeah. Um. So, uh, they're they're. T- the movie's in the works. Okay. I well, don't. There's there's no projected release date at this point, um, but they're gonna have um, oh, what's his name, uh, Aaron Sorkin. Mm-hmm. They're, I supposedly they're trying to get him signed on to do it because he did the Social Network. Oh, okay. Uh, which did very which well. Is very, yeah. Um, and he just did uh, Moneyball, oh. which I've seen nothing but rave reviews yeah. about. It's that Brad Pitt movie. Oh, Brad Pitt. Oh, Brad Pitt. Oh, Brad Pitt. He, what is he like? Fifty? I mean, I don't know how he still. He's he still looks good. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he yeah. just. I'd hang out with Brad Pitt. Yeah, no, yeah. he's awesome. It's just that he's, I uh, he just continues looking so young. That's true. That's true. Um, um I, so I really like. You know, I can't wait for the trailer. You know, for that movie though. You know, in a land made of silicon, <laughs> one man. Dropped acid when he was young, <gasps> then started a company. Well, he did. And then got kicked out of his company. Then got kicked out of his company. And then taken back. Then got taken back from his company <laughs> in a world of bits and beeps and boops. <laughs> Beep boop. Yeah, I don't know. So I'm excited for that. <laughs> you know, after reading the book, it'll be good to see that movie and, and see how they portray Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of Apple also, they just came out with new MacBook Pros. Ah! So, ah, if you're looking to get a new computer, 
Apple has bumped up the specs on their machines. Oh, what are the specs? Uh, they're now up to 2.4 gigahertz in the lower end models and 2.8 for the wow. higher end models. That's and not, not they ship good. with four gigs like they've been um, doing. And uh, I think the lower end models, uh, they ship with 500 gig drives now, which is nice. Totally awesome. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so if you are looking to get a new machine, I know um, my, my dad was recently home on vacation. He was really looking to get a computer uh, before he had to go back abroad and... He left yesterday, and they came out yesterday. Well, they came out a couple of days ago. So um, I don't know if uh, if he actually managed to snatch one before he left. <laughs> Gentlemen, start your credit cards. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Not quite as big of a release as when the iPhones come sure, out. Sure, sure. You know. Oh, I started. I got my credit card out. I was just take take my money. Hey, I got a I got a quick news story for you here. Sure. What's up? Netflix. Oh N- yeah. Netflix lost eight. Hundred thousand subscribers. Yeah. Eight hundred thousand. How many did they have though? Um, let me see. Da, 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 da. Netflix had a two point three two twenty three point eight million total U.S. eight uh, U.S. subscribers okay. as of September thirtieth. Okay. Down from twenty four point six million three months earlier. Wow. So. And around uh, 21.5 million customers had streaming subscriptions, mm-hmm. and just under 14 million had uh, DVD subscriptions. I see. So with most customers apparently still mixing the two, streaming and right, and getting which the DVDs. I still do. You know, it, it went makes up, sense for me. It went up what six bucks. Yeah. And for the offerings that they have, they have every DVD under the sun. And let, let's let's except you know, for Akira for some reason. Really, no I, Akira? That's terrible. Oh, there's just a save button next to it. Which speaking uh, of Akira, yeah. There's a new movie got the green light, a live action. I heard about that, and I am and excited. Helen Bonham Carter, I guess, is going to be playing. Um, oh, what's the name of that character? It's that um, the one who's like sitting out on the street, Lady Miyako. Yeah. The yeah, that's like the religious zealot. Oh boy. Yeah, so that's going to be pretty interesting. So for you folks at home, if you've if you've never heard of Akira, it's a anime movie that came out back in the eighties, um, and. Uh, was uh, very critically acclaimed for the advances in animation and yep. computer animation that they had at the time. Um, very impressive, although kind of a bizarre storyline. Yeah. Um, but if you're it interested... It makes a lot more sense if you actually read the comic book. Ah. Yeah. It, the comic book is like six huge, giant, like Bible-sized books worth of comics. Really? Yeah, and they tried to condense all of that story, and they did. They condensed the entirety of the story down into like an hour and a half. So, yeah, they took out a bunch and things just don't make sense. And, you know, it was really more a movie for the, the comic. But yeah, I have to agree with Teresa. The art form, the uh, the actual, you know, uh, story itself and, and the movie, the way it's portrayed, it's just absolutely, you know, uh, landmark for its time and, and beautiful mm-hmm. still today. Um, and, and, you know, dum, 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 da. Yeah, the music. Da. And they just have some beautiful Ding. shots, I guess. <laughs> Oh, in, yeah. In the movie. Um, so definitely check that out, especially if you're a film buff. And definitely look up, you know, the history behind the movie and learn about the technology they were using at the time. Yeah. It's pretty or, impressive. Or a computer buff because it's set in the future. Yeah, that too. Yeah. So if you like sci-fi, check it out. So what else you got there, Teresa, for, for the news? Uh, let's see. What do we want to talk about? You know what I heard? What did you hear? Google is about to launch music download service within two weeks. No way. Way total way so 
are they going to reallocate everybody who's been working on Google Plus to this? <laughs> oh, 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 oh. We should talk about that because, you know, the, when the, the person came out on the, what, it was on Twitter or was it a blog post? He said Google, it was a Google employee. So for mm-hmm. people who haven't heard this, a Google employee um, accidentally leaked either an internal tweet or an internal blog post, something that mm-hmm. was supposed to be internal only. Sure. To say, you know, uh, Google really dropped the ball on Google+. Plus. Mm-hmm. They kind of just put it out there without really researching it or knowing anything about it and blah, 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 blah. You know, so that was there was a big blow up on that. Wow. Yeah. But you know what was interesting? Mm-hmm. The, the, the most interesting thing about this whole thing was Google's mm-hmm. response. Because, you know, a lot of people were saying, oh, my gosh, this guy's okay. This guy's fired because mm-hmm. he was just a, you know, just a code monkey at Google. Right. Right. OK. But they were, you know, so people are saying this guy's going to get fired. This guy's, you know, somebody's Google's going to come out with this PR thing like, oh, this guy was a, you know, whatever. Right. Google actually, instead of firing him, they took him in, you know, like some of the top guys took him in the office and mm-hmm. asked asked them to give them the feedback, like, and tell tell them directly, like, what, what the issues were. And they listened, apparently. And, the, and so the guy wrote a follow-up blog post to say, like, you know, a lot of people said, hey, my job was going to be in jeopardy or something like that. Mm-hmm. What actually happened is the management team was legitimately interested in my feedback and what I had to say. And they've actually started up a lot of uh, new campaigns with Google+. Plus." based on some of my feedback. Oh, wow. So it seems like Google as a company is a little bit more open to that kind of negative feedback. And, you know, I, I got to say that was very well handled on Google's. No, that's great. On Google's end. Well, so. I hear Google Plus has been more popular in some places than others. Um, it's just, I don't know. I've I, had a hard, I've had, I'll be honest, I've had, I like it, but I've had, I've had a hard time with it. Really? Uh, I've had a hard time, you know, because uh, we've been using Facebook for how, however long, bajillions yeah. of years. And you do get used to the format. And, well, it's, it's not just the format. It's like Google Plus, other than Hangouts, which I got to say, I tried Hangouts this weekend. Mm-hmm. So cool. Really? So cool. Other than Hangouts, uh, uh, Google Plus really doesn't do anything, you know, super different than, than you could do with Facebook. I mean, you have your circles, but, mm-hmm. eh, you know, it's you, you can do groups in Facebook, too. And it's just kind of like, I don't know. But Hangouts, I got to say, Hangouts, amazing. You know you know about Hangouts, right? The Hangouts feature? Um, I think I've heard of it. It's it's basically a video, uh, video a big video conferencing mm-hmm. uh, 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 area. So what you do is you start a Hangout, mm-hmm. and you have your video cam on, mm-hmm. a video camera on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and anybody that you invite, or if you make it public, just anybody in the world can drop in on your Hangout, and you can just chat with them, like video chat with them. Uh, so it's basically a conference call, mm-hmm. and, y- and what we did, what I what I use this for actually is I had we have a bunch of people from a group that I'm in that's scattered all around the country and actually mm-hmm. even all around the world. A couple mm-hmm. of them in the Netherlands and that kind of sure. stuff. We all got together on a specific time over webcams and we had a meeting, and and we had ten people at the same time all on their webcams in this, and it worked flawlessly. Really, and it was all free. Wow, because everyone had a Google Plus account. That's really cool. It was really cool. <laughs> I loved huh. it. So. Did, did you experience any kind of significant lag? Nope. No. There was no lag. No, no lag that lag. I could even think of. Wow. So, so if, if so, kids out there, if you haven't tried Google Plus Hangouts, give it a shot. It's pretty nifty, I must say. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Any other news that you got on your end there? Otherwise... I've I, I heard some more. There's there's a lot of dying news. John McCarthy, inventor of Lisp, and the father of artificial intelligence. I read that died today. That he died. Yeah. yeah. Lots of deaths in the news recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, for the tech world. Okay, so there was this the guy. Tech, tech world, yeah. And obviously Steve Jobs passed away. And the creator of... Um, Unix. Unix died. Unix died. Jeez. I know. The it's tech world. Tech world's losing Some of the, the well, pioneers of the tech world, yeah. You know, it, it's... I don't want to say they're getting around that age, but you know, it's some of the very, very, you know, early pioneers that that worked on the supercomputers and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. I mean, they're getting in their sixties and seventies at this mm-hmm. point, and some very influential people are getting up in age, and mm-hmm. I don't know all that knowledge that goes with them. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, one, uh, one, la- I guess, a security alert for people who have the iPad too. Oh, yeah, you were showing me that earlier, how you can easily break into an iPad 2. So there's a security alert with an iPad 2 here. Um, I don't know when Apple will fix this, but this is for current generation iPad 2s that are up to date on the latest operating system software. So say, you know, you're a savvy person. Ah, you, you don't want anybody to steal your information on your iPad too. Maybe you've got your corporate accounts linked up there. Mm-hmm. You've got all your email. You don't want anybody getting in on the iPad, Mm-mm. on your iPad, right? So of course, like a, like a you know, good good netizen that you are, you, you lock down your iPad too with a password, right? Yeah, I have a passcode on my phone. Exactly. Well, with the iPad too, there is actually a software bug that lets you get into it without inputting your password. No way. So here's what you do. Um, you, uh, you you can show this to your friends. It's a little neat trick. You know, it's like, hey, I bet you can get in your iPad. No, you can't. Yeah, I can. <laughs> so here's what you do. <laughs> uh, take Have the person take the iPad and lock it, right? Just, okay. you know, put it on lock. Sure. Um, Hit the uh, hit the button uh, to turn it uh, to to you know reengage. Hit the home button, mm-hmm. and sure. it'll come up asking you for a password. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So then here's what you do: you hold the power button mm-hmm. until it asks you if you want to power off to slide to power off the device. Sure. Right. Then what you do is you take a a completely uh, translucent piece of paper and you cover it so that it's it's uh, completely covered. So a lot a lot of the iPads have covers that, that you know that people have that come with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You cover the face of the iPad too mm-hmm. for about a second, maybe a second or two. Then you take the cover off and you hit the cancel button. Instead of, you know, when it asks you to power off, there's a cancel button down at the bottom. Boom. Bypass the password and you're <gasps> in your iPad too. Whoa. Yeah. So what are people supposed to do? No, they can't do anything at this point. I mean, uh, you know, unless you, if you know this trick, you can get in to your iPad too. We're hoping that since it's, you know, widely publicized now mm-hmm. that uh, Apple will fix the bug. It's probably just a software bug. Yeah, I'm sure so. that's all it is. Mm-hmm. Well, so, but in the meantime, if you want to freak out your friends... <laughs> Unlock their iPad 2. Unlock their iPad 2. Otherwise, if you own an iPad 2, hide your iPad 2. <laughs> Don't keep, let anybody mess keep with it. it. Especially if you. they listen to our show. Yeah. Keep Don't it let atta- them touch it. <laughs> keep it attached to your chest at all times. Love your iPad 2. Keep pieces of paper away from it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Uh, I think we're going to take a quick little break here. Uh, and before and when we come back, we are going to talk with uh, some people from the Chazen Museum of art about the new uh, opening of their new uh, wing of their building. It's a huge expansion of mm-hmm. the Chazen. Uh, and they're going to be telling us all about the interesting technology that they have implemented uh, in the building. Lots of cool stuff. Mm-hmm. So stick around. Uh, we'll be right back with more Do It Live. Check us out online, doit.wist.edu forward slash radio, or email us radio at doit.wist.edu. And hey, check out our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you get them fresh delivered every week, uh, just like the Milkman used to do, except we don't have those anymore. So uh, go to <laughs> iTunes and search for Do It under the podcast category, and the first thing that will pop up will be Do It Live. We'll be right back with more Tech Talk and the director of the Chazen Museum here with more Do It Live.
And now the Do It Live three disclaimers with our guest geek of the week, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Number one, the opinions expressed on this program do not reflect the views of WSUM, the University of Wisconsin-Madison, or its Board of Regents. Number two, products and services provided by the Division of Information Technology, aka Do It, and other university departments as well as drawings and giveaways may be only available to students, faculty, staff, or those currently affiliated with UW-Madison. Ah. Number three, participants of this broadcast may offer opinions or recommendations to like recommending you to get to the chopper. However, they do not endorse nor has any consideration been provided on behalf of the products or services discussed. Now get to the chopper!
This is an important message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. If you must use a chainsaw, follow the instructions to be safe. Wear a safety glasses, chaps, earplugs, thick work gloves, chaps, and, and boots. boots. Always hold the saw at waist level or below and make sure that others remain far away. If you are cut, put direct pressure on the wound to stop bleeding and get medical help as soon as possible. To learn more, call, call the, the CDC, CDC at 1-800-CDC-INFO. If you must use a chainsaw, wear chaps. And we're back with more Do It Live on WSUM 91.7 FM, Madison, Wisconsin. And today we are talking about the new Chazen Museum of Art and how technology and art can intersect in this new uh, museum here. And uh, we've got uh, some guests from the Chazen here. Let's go around the room and guys, you can just go ahead and introduce yourself. I'm Russell Panchenko, the director of the museum. I'm Steve Johanowitz, the preparator at the museum. And I'm Jim Healy. I'm the director of programming of the UW Cinematheque. Well, guys, first off, I should just say, you know, probably on behalf of all of us, congratulations on getting everything done. Yeah, the uh, building is beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous. Uh, I had a chance to check it out uh, earlier today, and it was just, you know, great walking around in there. Uh, finally, after, you know, a couple of years uh, over here seeing it, you know, building piece by piece, mm -hmm. uh, finally getting to walk in there and seeing it done is, is quite quite amazing so thank you very so yeah. so tell us about um i guess tell us about some of the technology that uh that you implement in the chase museum um to you know either to have the art displayed or, or maybe to you know increase awareness of what's going on in there well there is an awful lot of technology and some <laughs> of it will be visible and some of it will be invisible uh you know one of the most obvious things that every museum has to have is climate control uh equipment that accommodates itself to the climate that we have here. And, you know, we have to safeguard the collection. We have to maintain the climate at around 40, 45% humidity levels. Mm -hmm. Well, when the temperatures drop down to below zero, it gets awfully dry, out, dry outside, and all that humidity tries to escape, and we can't let it. Oh. So, so <laughs> you know, there, there's an interesting challenge for you. Uh, you know, so how do you configure the doors? How do you configure the systems? Then you've got the question is, well, what happens if uh, the main system goes down? What kind of backup systems that you have? You know, because that's the greatest threat to art at any time when climate, dr uh, drastic climate change. So we have to maintain a uniformity that you just wouldn't have to do anywhere else. That's really interesting. And, and so, I mean, are these, are these humidity controls, are they all, you know, I'm, I'm guessing they're all computer controlled and you have alerts and that kind of thing? Oh, yes. They're not computer controlled, uh, which is, you know, to a certain degree is true in, in the existing building, but uh, not to what's happening now. You know, they're not only uh, computer controlled, but they plug into, first of all, security. They plug into a physical plant on campus. Mm -hmm. uh, and depending on where they are and what they are, then, you know, that will then dictate how we address the issue. Very cool. So are you able to put, I suppose, uh, more sensitive pieces in the new building since it, it has it's more integrated with the climate control? Since you kind of built it from the ground up? Well, yes, you know, of course, you know, more sensitive. But, you know, the other thing that we have to take care of some of the very sensitive, we've had new cases designed and built for us in Italy. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, there's only w there are three basic glass companies for museum display cases. Mm -hmm. Two of them are in Germany and one in 
is in Italy. And the Italian one is taking off far beyond the two German ones because they've added engineering and the ability to produce unique pieces of metal or unique metal parts through laser cutting. You know, and if I think back to 1990 when we ordered uh, the cases that exist in the ancient art gallery, I was only given the option, well, this type exists, this type exists, this size, pick one that best suits your needs. Mm -hmm. Now with the Gopion company, they came in, looked at our spaces, what do you want to do with them, and were able to custom make every case. And it was financially feasible because of what they can do with laser and laser cutting of metal. And that's just the kind of thing that without computer-controlled lasers and that kind of stuff, it, you wouldn't be able to uh, even think about doing that back in the 90s, I'm guessing, oh, right? Absolutely. You know, it was fascinating to go out. You know, both Steve and I went out to see this company in Italy and watch them, you know, have a computer model of some pieces or parts for this case. And then they just slipped a sheet of paper, and we just stood there and watched this laser <laughs> go across that sheet of steel. And, you know, there it was a couple minutes later, you know, exactly the part that they needed. You know, also, you know, these, these cases, um, two of them have doors that are 10 feet uh, by 10 feet 7 inches uh, tempered glass and that's one single pane of glass and that's wow. the door of the case wow. it swinges op- uh, swings open on hinges you can just imagine the weight of that thing you know I thought Steve would be able to handle it and I'm sure he could but you know <laughs> Steve is not going to be there all the time so we have other people without his strength to do it and it works very very smoothly wow. you know and the cases are completely hermetically sealed so there's no climate change inside and if you look carefully around the edges and along the top uh, there are uh, fiber optics in those cases Mm. and in fact when I went to Italy to look at the cases Steve uh, Johanovic went with me and Steve is our expert on uh, on the lights in these cases and uh, the challenge of getting them all to work properly Steve would you like to comment on them uh, yeah, we um, a, a while back we started outfitting our current or our, the the old Elvian building space with fiber optic lighting, which um, th- there are many benefits. Um, there's no ultraviolet light and there's no uh, infrared light or heat that comes from these, and it's because your your central um, light source comes from it's it's almost like a projector that's up above where the artwork is. Um, those run one one of those bulbs, either um, 90 watts or 150 watts, can run up to 32 lights. I see. So you know, we started outfitting our our the the Elvian building, and so as we were building or, or looking into building cases for the new space, we definitely wanted to continue fiber optics. It's it's energy efficient, um, it's a cleaner light, and it's safer for the artwork. And so um, we went out and you know discussed with the the company Gopion. Um, you know, what types of lights we needed and, you know, what we were looking at and did some tests and some designs and some back and forth. And so, yeah, when people come to see the cases, um, you can kind of look up in and, and see what these lights do. And it's um, it's a pretty extraordinary technology. And um, so we're, we're really pleased. So with the lighting in the uh, in, in the Chazen, I'm, I'm guessing that's also all, you know, you, you can adjust that uh, uh, via like remote desktop or computer controlled. You can change it based on how much light is in the room, that kind of, is, is, that, is that correct? Oh, yeah. The, the system we got, it's, um, some people might be familiar, it's a Crestron, which is kind of a sort of an industry standard. Um, everything in the museum, it's, it's kind of insane, is completely computerized, and it goes beyond lighting, um, curtains, shades, <laughs> everything wow. is set. And so with the Crestron system, um, we're still in the midst of going through some programming and training, but um, 
the in the fundamentals there are uh, little touch panels like little just some buttons and you can set up scenes almost like theater scenes hmm. um, where if you push a button different things will happen to the lights some will dim some will turn off um, but then you can get more complex and there's a touch panel that we can actually plug into the wall control all of our dimmers with a touch panel system um, and even program different scenes or more scenes um, and then even beyond that um, there is you actually will plug a laptop in and then you can go to town you can do anything we could program <laughs> to the minute what happens in that museum space have lights turn on have lights turn off have a have a screen close have a you know screen open it's all hooked into the auditorium so it's it's really sort of the catalog of lighting systems and we're, we're pretty excited it's it's so far superior to what we currently use um, and a little frightening at the same time. So it's Halloween. You want to freak out your director. You know he's going to be moving you know, into the room yeah. with the creepy statue. You have the lights flicker at exactly, exactly 5.02 p.m. Yeah. yeah. All right. I, love I it. walk in with that flashlight under my chin, and you should see them jump. Oh, man. That, that's amazing. Um, you were going to – you said – you looked like you were going to say something about uh, – Yeah, the lighting. You know, one earlier. of the things I'd like to add, you know, we talk about computer and technology. But at the same time, uh, you know, it's very hands-on. So Steve is very modest, but he and Gerald, uh, you know, those scenes that you can turn with the, to with the computer and make them occur, mm -hmm. they have to create – they still have to get onto a scissor lift. And, you know, we have a brand-new scissor lift for the first time in our history, and they'll get up there. And these cans that are hanging from the tracks have to be adjusted, have to be pointed the right way. The strength of each can of how much light it's giving off has to be set. Now, once they've done that physically, mm -hmm. then you can start saying, okay, this light in this situation or this light from this hour to that hour, uh, et cetera. So it's, it's a wonderful uh, combination between technology and hands-on expertise uh, that goes together. That's very cool. Um, now, I, I, I noticed, you know, as I was walking through the, the museum today, I noticed that you guys have some sort of, like, hidden command rooms behind some of the walls. Can you tell me about that? Because I walked by that and I was like, whoa, is the dude coming out of a wall? <laughs> <laughs> is that like the, the back, you know, the, the well, areas where you, you believe have it. your evil plans? Or? Well, believe, <laughs> believe it or not, these are things that we're be still discovering ourselves. <laughs> really? You know, the difference between uh, the Elvium building and our new building is the Elvium building has very few sort of hidden nooks and crannies mm. everywhere. You know, it, it's a very straightforward building. On the other hand, you know, we, the, uh, we were told by do it and, and, you know, a physical plant, they needed a closet for this, closet for that. Mm -hmm. And we'll go in and Steve and I walk in or Gerald and I, and I said, well, that's uh, like a crawl space. I mean, it's not, <laughs> where does that go? And he says, I don't really know. <laughs> and we look and it seems to continue in the walls on and on. So the entire space is inside, especially for the, the, the technical matter, where the wires have to go, where the uh, conduits have to go, are much more complex and much more involved. Now, for us, for our operations, we don't directly go in there, but Physical Plant has maps of these things that we're going to have to figure out on uh, <laughs> and make sure that we sort of get a sense of where do they go? Is there any way somebody can get in there that we haven't a clue about? See, that was, I, I was just thinking, I'm like, I'm thinking, oh, you know, the, the art heist, they'll go in through the Physical Plant, you know, <laughs> whatever. So, <laughs> a, a script for a good movie. There you go. Mm -hmm. There you go. So speaking of movies, I hear you have a theater in the new building. Um, did Jim, did you want to talk about that? 
Well, um, Russell can talk about the theater. Uh, sure. and I'd, lo- I'd love for him to. I, I can I can tell you about some of the program we've got coming up and what the what the what the technology of the booth is. But okay. maybe Russell, you want to talk about the well, auditorium first. Let me or? give the uh, in, you know introduction. You know, sure. in the current building, sure. we have four auditoria, uh, but they were created so they could be used for nothing else but lectures. You know, in fact, if you look at the stages, and I remember, you know, when I first got here, somebody, uh, one of the faculty members who was there when the LVM was created, said we deliberately made the stage ages no wider than what a professor needed to walk back and forth on with a pointer. <laughs> okay, well, you know, our needs, uh, pedagogical needs, have changed dramatically since that time. And, uh, you know, if I think of uh, the Uragawa uh, Japanese print exhibition of a couple of years ago, it, you know, prints relate to a lot of contemporary Japanese culture, to Jap- contemporary Japanese filmmaking, and to bring that additional dimension and to accompany the exhibition, we realize that's a goal that's well worthy to pursue. And we can't retrofit our auditoria without losing vital amounts of space. So we said we're building a new one. Let's make that capable not only of the lectures and PowerPoint and all of that, but let's make it capable of showing film. And, you know, talking to the folks at Cinematech, you know, we discover we've got something like there. They've got the, the Warner Brothers archive. And they've got an expertise in film. So we said, okay, we're going to do this. We're, we're going to have to work on some kind of a partnership. Uh, we'll start something slow. But if we really want to make this as complex, not complex, sorry, as, <laughs> um, oh, what's the term I'm looking for? As flexible as possible, giving us as broad a range for film showing as possible. What do we need to do? And that's where Jim Healy and Cinematech folks c- came in. And Jim, there's this stuff we're looking at from the museum end of it, and we haven't clue if it's upside down, right side up, or what? <laughs> so we're going to rely on you very heavily. Yeah, well, we've, uh, Russell, very generously um, asked us to participate and, and relied on our, our not only me and, and our programming staff, but also the technical staff in, in the Com Arts Department. Now, this is a very transitional time for motion picture exhibitions. So just as we're opening this, this new venue to be... Um, let's say, archivally sound that would allow us to show as many different possible formats as possible. Mm -hmm. The commercial industry, uh, multiplex movie theaters that, you know, that, that are, that most films open commercially are now embracing, uh, and, and moving out all of the classic 35 millimeter projectors in favor of, a digital cinema package, uh, presentation. Mm -hmm. What we're doing, uh, at the Chazen in the booth there, and appropriately so for a museum, is uh, uh, allowing for uh, archival films to be shown in their original exhibition format, and that would be 35 millimeter or 16, while also being prepared to handle uh, most contemporary uh, digital formats too. Uh, there are several playback uh, players in the booth right now that will allow us to play multiple digital formats, and then there's um, uh, panels that would allow for us to bring in other forms of playback to 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 you know, if we bring in the decks themselves. Sure. Uh, and then there's a digital high def projector that gets a you know a, a really beautiful uh, clear video image, digital image, one that's not 35 millimeter or 16 millimeter. How about the uh, how about the new 3D movies? You guys uh, retrofitting for that anytime? No, soon? no, we we uh, <laughs> that that would require even a special advanced kind of DCP. Uh, projector but um, uh, as as it stands right now I think the best we could do there would be to show 
an anaglyph 3D film, which is the which is the red green red blue kind of oh. 3D, or, uh, or or the possibility of an over under uh, stereo print, which is just one 35 right, millimeter sure. print that requires. But those are a little dim, I think. So, <laughs> but uh, no, right now we're uh, we're 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 just about we have just about the ability to show any format we want, except contemporary digital 3d at the so moment. what's the what's the first thing that you're planning on on unveiling in this new space right we have uh, a really special event on november 6th our first uh film event at the chase and we are welcoming the uh hollywood director joe dante to the chase and uh to kick off uh, what are going to be three consecutive weeks of screenings of films that uh joe dante personally selected he's the director of films like The Howling and Gremlins, uh, more recently Small Soldiers, uh, and uh, a 3D film called The Hole. But he uh, he's also a renowned cinephile, film collector, a real movie lover, and he has uh, more or less programmed the first uh, three weeks of films that we're doing uh, in the Chazen. He's selected... Um, four feature films that we're going to be showing. The first one on November 6th is a thriller from the late 40s called The Big Clock with Charles Lawton and Ray Milland, a really terrific film that was later remade as No Way Out with Kevin Costner. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, he, uh, Joe Dante is going to introduce the film, and we're going to show a new 35-millimeter print of the movie, and afterwards we're going to have a discussion uh, about the film and things cinema-related. He's a real movie lover, so... That sounds really interesting. Yeah. And then the rest of the series continues throughout November. Uh, the following Sunday, the um, uh, which will be the, th- the 13th, we're going to show an Abbott and Costello film, Hold That Ghost, with W.C. Fields and It's a Gift. And the Sunday after that, uh, Vincent Price in Tomb of Lygia. Uh, which is a Roger Corman, Edgar Allan Poe adaptation from the 60s. Is there a website that people can go to check out all of the uh, upcoming events or anything like that? Well, there's the the, the uh, Sunday screenings at the Chazen. Uh, their information can be accessed from the Cinematech website at cinema.wisc.edu, and I don't know if they're also currently listed on the museum's they website. Certainly are. They are certainly listed there as uh, our activities. So the uh, speaking of the website, the website uh, probably uh, at least had to go through a, uh, a dramatic change to you know inca- to uh, get all of the uh, new information for the new new wings and everything, all that sort of stuff. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the uh, that process? Well, we completely redesigned uh, the website, so it has a very very different look. We mm-hmm. think it's a lot more user friendly. Uh, we engaged a company here in town called Hebing, uh, who specialize in marketing and promotion. Uh, we know what we want. Do we know how to do it and how to effectively convey it? No, not necessarily. <laughs> and their help was really expert and very good. Now, the one thing that we had to do ourselves in-house is uh, because our goal was not only a new look for the website, but also to provide more information than we've ever provided before. Mm. You know, our collection numbers well over 20,000 objects. And uh, prior to this past uh, August, if you wanted access, you had to come in and look through basically, yes, a database on the registrar's computer. Mm. Now we have gotten over the past two years every object photographed in the collection, uh, those database and images organized uh, systematically, and they're all accessible through the website, and you can search 
for them by artists, by period, by uh, groupings, you know, media. There are a variety of ways. If one goes in and into the website, looks under collections, there's a number of ways you can search through. And for us, that's terribly important. You know, we're expecting to get more involvement with students and faculty. And if you don't know what's in the collection, you're not sure what there might be that's pertinent to your particular interests. So an art student could go to the website and actually digitally look through just about anything in the collections and see, and see pictures of it and, uh, along with the artist's information. Not just about. Everything. <laughs> everything. <laughs> everything. That's so incredible. Now, what we That's did was, incredible. you know, we, we spent a couple of years trying to photograph things, shall we say, in quotes, perfectly. <laughs> you know, in other words, you know, we'd sit down at a staff meeting and somebody would say, okay, I want it on the internet. I want, the editor would say, I want it publishable. Somebody else would, I want it for this purposes. And so that's a very laborious process because you're really you're photographing very large images. You're trying to organize those. Uh, the data banks, as you can imagine, are enormous for that. And uh, after about, oh, I don't know, five years, we only had about 2,000 images out of the 20. And I just sort of lost patience, I suppose, and said, look, let's not worry about what we can publish. Let's not worry about some of these peripheral uses. Let's just do it fast. Let's just set up, let's say, a copy stand and a camera and just move those works on paper through. If it's not a perfect image, so be it. What's the highest priority has to be access. Mm. You know, that people can see it. Now, if we do want a, a publishable image, we can always go back and rephotograph that and mm. change. So, you know, and uh, so uh, the images, uh, y you know, there some of them may not be published, some are, but you can see every single object. And so even if you wanted to come in, let, let's say if you were interested in our print collection, you know, there was just a card catalog, there were no images in the past, and you, you're working with Japanese prints and you want to look at, uh, you've got a particular image, and you start going through the card catalog and it says Mount Fuji, Mount Fuji in the snow, Mount Fuji, Mount Fuji. <laughs> you don't know what the difference is. You've got to actually have to look, and mm. then you know the difference between one and the other, and you can select what you want to see. So now you can do it. Very oh, that's cool. That's great. That's incredible. That's I, 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 I'm gonna y now now you know what you've done. I'm gonna spend <laughs> so much time on this website that you know I, I won't. I'll forget to feed my cat. I'll just be looking through pictures all day, admiring oh, no, no. the art. It's you you can do whatever you want, but please don't forget to feed your cat. Okay. I'm a cat lover. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> you know, I, I was walking through the museum uh, earlier today, and 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 the one thing that I found an absence of, and maybe maybe I just wasn't looking in the right place, was um, things like. And I know that other other uh, places have done this in the past, but mm -hmm. QR codes or barcodes that you can ah. scan and get more information, say on your smartphone. Um, any any thoughts about doing that in the sure. future? Or? Sure. You know, we did uh, we did our very first exhibition uh, last summer with QR codes, and that was done with the Russian icon, mm -hmm. Russian icons. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a fellow in the Department of Art History who was very expert at this and knew just how to do that. And so we did try that and it worked very very effectively uh, so yes we are going to move in that direction but as you can imagine that's another technology it's something that we have to master and figure out just how to do it where to do it appropriately but are we going that way you bet in fact the heaving group when they were looking at our pr materials actually came out with our logo and you know it's mm -hmm. it's not only the word chasen museum of art but it's the the circle the square and the triangle mm -hmm. and i said you know that square could make it perfect QR code. <laughs> and <laughs> they were right. Idea. We're going to do something with that. So yeah, you'll be seeing a lot more use and working with the, um, you know, the internet. 
in, in the short times to come. Very cool. Yeah, that's great for students who use so many mobile mm-hmm. devices to be mm-hmm. able to access information about the prints without having the computer right there. We had a, actually, I should I should mention this. We had a, a tweet tour. Uh, oh, a tweet know, tour. I'm sort of that old. Everybody <laughs> in this room is a lot younger than I am, and I will confess that at one point I looked at Susan Day, our publicist, and I said, "Susan, could you tell me what's the difference between a tweet and a Twitter?" And she <laughs> said, "You just don't get it, do you?" Well, she's been very kind, and she's kind of brought me up to speed. Um, uh, well, let's let's put it this. Brought me up closer to speed, not the whole <laughs> speed. My generation will probably not totally be there. But uh, she did something that I found fascinating, uh, and why I found it fascinating because I see great potential for it in the future. She brought about 30, 35 of the campus communicators through the new building a couple of days before they opened. Uh, and what they did is they walked around, she was giving them a tour of the museum, but they all had their cell phones with them, and they were taking pictures of things that caught their interest and instantly sending them out. Hmm. You know, so everybody could respond to something that caught that specific purpose person's interest and share it with a friend or a colleague. And you know, within an hour, I think we had something like 150, 160 uh, responses. To, I, I don't know if response wow. is the correct word, yep. mm-hmm. but people would, you know, would uh, get back to her on that. And, you know, as I think about it, God, you know, we want to engage students. Wouldn't it be interesting to bring student groups through? Or we've just set up a new group called the Chasen Ambassadors. Bring the ambassadors through mm-hmm. and say, okay, what interests you? What If you were going to talk to your friend about something here, what would you pick? And go ahead and do it. Uh, so provide the opportunity and let people use the technology that's very close to who they are and their culture. Very cool. That's very interesting. Um, what plans do you have going forward for technology? I know we talked about the QR codes and we talked about Twitter. Um, do you sure. have any other plans? Um, other well, social networking sites or, or oh anything else? Well, we have a we have a Facebook site. I'm okay. happy to say uh, Susan's got that. We were discussing: Do we want a is it a Twitter site or a tweet site? Twitter site, uh, yeah. Twitter yeah. site. Okay. <laughs> we were discussing we want one of those as well. And then, you know, because every time you set one of these up, mm-hmm. uh, my feeling is that you've got to manage it. You've got to update the information right. or you very quickly frustrate people and ruin your own credibility. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the issues for us is, uh, you know, that technology on campus is probably a little easier to find. The hardest thing is to get human resources, mm. uh, you know, and so we're a very small staff. There's only 15 of us, you know, that's not counting, you know, our security guards and so the peripheral service, but our professional staff is 15 and that's classified. That's not big uh, for the size of operation. Mm. And, you know, we've just doubled the size of the museum and we have no additional staff. We're still going to be running, uh, you know, at the same staff that we've always had. So, I'm a little wary of moving into new areas if we can't staff them properly. So that's going to be a a big thing of exploration for us. What can we do if we have to make selections, you know, between, uh, you know, Twitter, uh, Flickr, some of these other new things? Which ones should they be? Which ones are going to be most effective of getting the word out Mm -hmm. to our various audiences? You know, the other thing that you'll probably see is uh, perhaps more exhibitions, not in the immediate future, that deal artists who work with technology. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, one of the things we did, and this is 
is totally invisible to anybody walking in. Uh, but, you know, in the past, if you had an artist working with a computer, you put a computer screen, let's say, on the wall. Well, what you do with all the wires? You tape them to the wall. You tape them down to the floor. Well, in our galleries, all of our galleries, permanent collection and temporary uh, exhibition spaces, there's about a three to four inch space behind the walls where we hand. And that mm -hmm. was done deliberately so that if we were going to use computer and do computer art exhibitions, you weren't taping the, the, the wire, but you would simply drill through the wall and drop the wires down through the background and plug them in at the low end of the wall. Sure. So get them out of the way, you get them so they don't distract. The other thing that we want and we haven't resolved, and in fact, if uh, people have ideas, I would love some input. If you look at the abutment that supports the bridge next to the uh, existing building, you'll notice there's a big rectangle uh, that's now covered with stainless steel and it faces the main door of the museum. What I want there is a big video monitor but not a video monitor to show, oh, this lecture is on at so o'clock or buy Wheaties or corn chips or whatever that <laughs> is, or even show, um, oh, I don't know, uh, Green Bay Packer games, although I'm sure we'd make a lot of money if we did that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, what I'd like is some kind of an LED monitor or some other kind of monitor that artists could come in and sit down with a computer and program something with lights, with color, with motion, you know, and it would be a display, technological mm. display that would be up for two months, three months, four months, depending on what the work is and, and you know, is it specific to a period. So yes, we've, we've created the spot for it. Uh, we've got the conduits for the wiring in those abutments. We simply haven't resolved uh, what exactly to put up there. So that is something I will certainly be pursuing uh, this spring. Now, I had heard since you had the art online uh, that you can now use that to do something like a, a digital walkthrough, a digital setup of an exhibition. Can you tell us a little bit more about that process? And one of the things besides the ability to, to curate our exhibitions and see what they might look like well before the fact on this computer screen, what excited me as well there was the potential for teaching students. Uh, you know, whenever we do a museum studies course or even some of the art history classes, students want to get involved with doing exhibitions. Well, to actually start handling the art, moving it around is very troubling. And at best, you, you get two or three people who sort of emerge and they get to make the selections. On the other hand, with the database of the entire collection on the internet, with let's say Visio technology, and maybe moving into one of the uh, you know computer labs on campus, where every student or team of two or three has access to a computer, and say, okay, you go through the database, you select. Uh, let's say 10 or 20 images, whatever you think will fit, and you put together a virtual exhibition right on screen. And then you can sit there with the class. Everybody's had to do that selection process. Everybody's had to try and make them fit into a space. And then you can discuss it as opposed to trying to do, you know, let's say the real thing. And then you can pick the best one and maybe turn it into a, a, a proper exhibition. Hmm. And so this opens up some real interesting doors for our educational mission. That sounds really, really fascinating and really awesome. Mm. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming in today. And uh, looks like our hour is just about up here. But before we go, we got a bunch of people to thank. Uh, special thanks go out to our management team at the Division of Information Technology. Perry Brunelli, Ryan Hansen, Edward Hoover, Brian Kishner, Ty Leto, Neil Mack, Mark Nessel, Brian Russ, and Bill Zimmerman. The Director of User Services is Kathy O'Brien. Duet's Chief Operating Officer is John Krogman. And our CIO and Vice Provost for Information Technology is Bruce Moss. 
Today's broadcast was produced by Ty Christian, Sandy Cyberlick, and Adam Wiesenfarth. Our associate producers are Laura Grady, Teresa Saldana, and Nathan Cohen, with assistance from Dan Collins, Matthew Siriani, and the Nates, Harrison Weber, and Zastro. Our on-air producer and director of e-communications is Matt Rockwell, and our theme music is from Conan. The executive producer of Do It Live is Jesse LeGrew. Join us next week where we will talk tech again for another hour, and we'll see you then.